Hello, I'm Louise Makshari, and welcome to Real Talk with Real Moms, an expert-advised and mum-approved podcast that looks at the issues of everyday pregnancy with healthcare professionals and the real women who have gone through the pregnancy journey. Get in touch and follow us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast and listen on iTunes, Spotify, and online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. Today, we are talking about all things breastfeeding. You might know my next guest, Stephanie Buckley, from her very popular blog, Eat Sleep Chic. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, great. So tell me a little bit about your pregnancy. Um, I had a fantastic pregnancy. Uh, The only issue I had was a little bit of sciatica in my right leg, but Mm. other than that, it was unbelievable. I really enjoyed it, really embraced my bump. I did uh, belly art time, so I painted my bump on a monthly basis. Um, I had all my friends and family around. We did lots of before and you know before and after pictures, mm-hmm. like uh, comparison photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I made the most of it. I enjoyed it. And your son Phoenix is five months now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you had a great a great pregnancy, yeah. and that's great to hear, um, mm-hmm. because there can be so many complications. Um, and then how about your your birth? The uh, the birth was pretty tough. Yeah. So I had episiotomy. Uh, Phoenix had sol- shoulder dystocia so he got stuck behind my pelvic bone mm-hmm. and I had a hemorrhage as well a blood hemorrhage so I lost a liter and a half of blood so it was pretty tough yeah yeah and how did you find that were you I mean were you scared or yeah, yeah I kind of just um like I kind of thought it would be fine like going in because I had such a good pregnancy and everyone kept saying oh you'll be grand you're just gonna pop that baby out so when I went into labor even going in I was saying to my dad dad I'll be out by lunchtime. I'm just going to pop this baby out. So it was really traumatic then because like nothing kind of seemed to go right for me. Yeah. So that was really tough. And it did take a couple of weeks to kind of get over that. Like, yeah. you know, maybe I didn't leave the house for, I think, six weeks. I didn't want to, you know, really do anything. I did actually leave the house to go to Kildare Village one day. And then I was knackered for a whole week. Yeah. And it knocked, knocked it out of me completely. Yeah. So it did take a while to get over. But now you know it's fine you just get over it yeah like you think it's the worst in the world at the time but then you listen to someone else's birth story yeah and you know there's a lot of people that go through similar so well this is it and everyone I mean everyone's birth story is different and everyone has its own challenges even if they're the kind of straightforward predictable ones exactly yeah um so did you always plan on breastfeeding no not at all yeah I I I wasn't gonna breastfeed okay yeah I I just kind of thought I didn't like the idea of getting my boobs out Mm -hmm. and I also have sensitive nipples so I was like it's it's not going to be for me and the first thing my dad when I told my dad I was pregnant he was like uh, one thing are you going to breastfeed and I was in my head I was like no I'm not going to breastfeed but then I was like oh dad yeah I'll think about it but I had no intentions so he wanted you to oh yeah he wa- he was like Stephanie you have to do it it's so good for the baby like just tell me are you going and this was the first thing genuinely that he said to me yeah. like, I was like oh god no dad no well I said yeah I was like oh I'll think about it dad yeah maybe but in my head I was like no not not gonna happen so it wasn't until my first appointment in the rotunda uh, the 12-week appointment and mm-hmm. uh, when you register all your information on the computer and everything and uh the midwife had asked me, are you going to breastfeed? And I just said, oh, maybe, because I didn't really want to get into it. So yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I might do it just to kind of leave it there. Yeah, and it's funny. It sounds like you were saying you were saying, yeah, just because you didn't want any pressure. And yeah, you didn't exactly. want the conversation. Yeah. And people kind of said that to me. Oh, when you go in, just say, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So that's kind of it's funny, isn't it? Because that's that's I think how it feels for a lot of women. Like they don't want they feel like they're going to be judged, even pushed. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then when I said maybe uh, the midwife, she was she was just amazing. She was kind of telling me how beneficial it is, how good it is for the baby, the colostrum, that first feed, you know, the liquid gold. So I 
was like, hmm, geez, this sounds really good. Like maybe I will actually give it a go. So then from then I said, okay, I'm going to do the first feed. Yeah. And then I spoke to my sister's friend who also had said, you know, the colostrum, it lasts a couple of days. If you get that into the baby, it's great for their immune system. Yeah. So I said, right, I'll do it a couple of days. I'll, you know, I'll try it. Yeah. So that's how then I decided that I was going to give the breastfeeding a go. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're talking about the first feed, you're talking about literally the first the feed first, in the baby's yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the midwife, uh, Dorothy was my midwife um, in the labor ward. Um, she'd asked me, she was like, Stephanie, do you want to breastfeed? And now I had no idea how to do it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. So she brought Phoenix over and she was like, um, do you know what to do? And I was like, no, I have no idea. And she's like, do you mind me touching your breast? And I was like, no, like show me, I, you yeah. know, I don't know what to do. So she took my breast for me and Phoenix's head and she manually latched him on. Yeah. So kind of, she just kind of pinched the nipple into his mouth yeah. and I was like, okay, right. That's how you do it. And then he started suckling and that was the first feed then. Yeah. So from then I was like, right, I'm going to give it a go. But it was really difficult because I couldn't get the latch yeah. so I found that like while I was in hospital um, it was three days it was on the day uh, that I left was the morning that I got the latch so each time um, when I was going to feed Phoenix I had to get help yeah. so when the midwives would come around I'd say oh can you just give me a hand because I couldn't get it so it was mm. like really frustrating so at one point then um, I did use three Aptamel bottles while mm. I was in hospital just to make sure he was getting enough food yeah and also um neve the midwife on the maternity ward um she she came in at one point and i was you know i couldn't do it and i was finding it really difficult and she said look stephanie do you want a hand express into a little cup and we'll syringe feed phoenix so yeah. i was like okay great we'll do that so and i had loads of colostrum that's what everyone kept telling me yeah. oh wow you've got such a great supply like yeah. if, you know you've loads to me i didn't think it was loads but it yeah was. well i mean you're talking yeah. about tiny amounts exactly yeah, yeah. so i was but they are expressing big. and it was like tiny you know like a few mils and they're like that's amazing i was like okay right great <laughs> so then uh, neve actually fed uh, phoenix with the syringe and uh, so then i kind of knew right that's there's another alternative you know if because he's not latching on i can still feed him you know there's another way to do it yeah and then uh, we talked about the bottle so i said right give me i'll try an aptamel i'll try a bottle uh, for my next feed so i had my alarm set for every three hours so mm -hmm. he'd roughly wake up maybe after two hours 40 minutes around that kind of time mm -hmm. so i didn't even have to go by the alarm because he was waking up yeah. for feed anyway so um i did try a bottle and then i would do the breastfeeding again and then the next time round, um neve came in and said would you like a break and one of the nurses uh, bottle fed phoenix for me so i got a bit of a sleep and mm. um, but really genuinely i don't think i would have been able to do it without the help because I, I didn't really know what i was doing and i was also my nipples it was like they weren't like um averted is that the word you do it was inverted like yeah no i didn't have inverted they yeah. were kind of flat so i yeah. wasn't sure i was like are they coming out enough yeah so i got one of the um I think Lenoche make it. It's like a little uh, extractor. Like you mm. pop it on your nipple. It's a pump on the end of it. You just it give it a few pumps it and it kind of pulls it out. Mm. So that was the final morning in the rotunda. I used that. Uh, I only used it once and then I got the latch. So I actually didn't even have to use it then after that. Mm. But that's, it, there are, like, you know, as you said yourself before, you don't know, not everyone can do it. So I kind of thought, maybe it's not for me. Like, maybe it's not going to work. Yeah. But then when I got it, like, it was, it was just amazing. Like, I was delighted, especially because I was leaving that day. Mm. So I don't know if I'd left without getting the latch 
in before yeah. I left the hospital I don't know would I've been able to continue at home yeah so it was the help that I had like you just have to ask you yeah. know and you might be waiting 10 minutes like at one point when the midwife came around she said Stephanie are you still breastfeeding I said yeah I'm still you know trying to breastfeed she's like right wait there I'll be back to you in a few minutes yeah and then came back in same again took my breast and yeah. you know manually latched phoenix for me so yeah yeah i had the same experience in the hospital that the help was there like yeah. you know if you asked for it and also it was offered to me a lot i mean i have never felt so manhandled in my yeah, entire yeah, life you just put your hands but up, yeah. just do it do what you have to do yeah, yeah and it's hard to imagine mm-hmm. i think before you have your baby that you're going to be okay with that I but know, you yeah. want it to work so badly if, if it's something that you want to do yeah. that like you're like yeah fine whatever like whatever you have you to do you don't care yeah exactly. I had two different midwives at one stage like you know scooching me around um, but you do you just kind of you, you want it to be be successful so much don't you that you just don't even care exactly yeah and so from then on were you just plain sailing no it was tough like when I got home then so I eventually got the latch everything was fine I felt great I was like this is amazing and And the latch just if you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about it's just basically the baby learning how to attach to your nipple to so that it can feed properly and it can be quite hard to get it and you know but but usually once it's once once you get it it, that's it and you know what it feels like then yeah you know it just kind of clicks then you're like okay that's it right so then you know what to kind of look feel out for in the next time so when we got home then um the milk came in and then that's completely different so the colostrum was gone and then maybe on i think it was day five or six the milk so it was a heavier flow and different consistency like maybe heavier for the baby and Phoenix just got sick after every single feed and it was it was terrible I you know I just got over like I just thought right this is it I can do it and then it it just changed everything when the milk came in Mm. so then that lasted um that lasted actually a few weeks where I fed him and he would just get sick every time so like I was kind of getting up every two hours Mm. and it was taking me about an hour to feed him yeah so like I'd leave the room go into the nursery change his nappy first because I found if I fed him and then change the nappy he'd get sick even more because I'm moving him around so I changed the nappy feed him and I kind of drip fed him then like I do and slowly left to right boob because I found it kept it down a little bit more but he'd still spit up but I knew he was getting enough because he had wet nappies yeah and each time I went to uh, like an appointment with the health nurse or when the health nurse or the midwives actually came to my house mm. they kept called to the house when I first went home they, community midwives yeah they're great. yeah community it was fantastic yeah. that was amazing and then I was able to show them what I was doing mm. and like they were able to watch me nurse yeah I had a community say, yeah, midwife fine. lying on my bed with me yeah me too I was like just come up <laughs> yeah. to your room just come on upstairs and she was sitting at the end of the bed and she stayed there for like probably an hour and a half and we were just yapping yeah away my one was actually yeah. basically spooning me yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding Sam to my breast trying to get this breastfeeding I was going say, yeah. she was like have you do you know the room be positioned yeah like, no show me <laughs> so like you just need all that well I felt I needed all the help I could get yeah because I had no idea like and what it's I was important doing. to acknowledge that because I think uh, somehow we get this idea as women that like once we have the baby we'll know what to do yeah but you don't unless no. you ask exactly you have to ask yeah. exactly yeah so then I went to uh, the HSE do uh, complimentary breastfeeding classes in your local community center mm. what well, they do in mine and Donna Bate there's one so I went to the breastfeeding class just to ask about the spit up and really they just kind of said look um there's no kind of normal with breastfeeding like every baby is different and as long as he's putting on weight and he's having wet nappies just keep doing what you're doing so I just continued on then and like Mm. it there were times when I just sat up to like five in the morning 
and it felt like I was just constantly feeding left, right, left, right, like boom, left, right, boom, you know, mm. back and forth, back and forth. And he was just constantly feeding. And like, it was really tough, I'd say. And then the cracked nipples as well. But they don't last very long because I think some people think you might have cracked nipples the entire time you're breastfeeding. Mm. I, I don't know if it's the same for all women, but I think I had them for maybe two weeks. Yeah. And then it's passed. Yeah. So and you can get the multi-mom compress pads. They're brilliant. You keep them in the fridge pop them on your nipple there's like a gel in them and it kind of soothes the nipple mm. and it's friendly for babies so like they can still supple on your nipple and they're fine yeah. um but uh yeah so uh, yeah it probably in the last i'm breastfeeding now five months i'd say now i feel really comfortable mm. but it did take probably four months to actually get to where i am yeah to like to feel comfortable doing it yeah yeah and how do you feel about because you said one of the things that put you off breastfeeding in the first place before you decided to do it was that you didn't want to get your boobs out how do you feel about that i don't care now like even in hospital like i was just sitting there boobs out and you know the you know they're coming around to check on you the midwives and the nurse and the doctors are coming around I didn't even care like mm. totally you just I think you just get over it because you're feeding your baby you're, you don't you know once they're fed you're happy so yeah. I think you, you don't really worry about those things and then also like when you're out and about there's loads of ways to conceal if you're if you do feel conscious of it and you don't like the idea of you know taking your boob out now there's maternity clothes like everywhere boohoo do them like you know they're they're so accessible now like pennies boohoo, all the shops like h&m like so there are ways you know to work around it if you are a little bit uncomfortable about getting your boobs out yeah so um but like even a shawl throw a shawl over your shoulder yeah you know it's it's I, I, it doesn't bother me now yeah yeah so what would you say to women who are considering it but you know a little bit scared maybe a little bit like you were at the beginning well one thing I'd say don't knock it till you try it because before I was like I'm not doing it and then once now that I'm doing it I said I'll give it a couple of weeks then I was like right I'm gonna do it for a year and now I'm like right I'm gonna do it for a year and then I'm gonna express up to two years wow. but the longer this is what I would hope to do this is yeah. what in my head now that's what I would like to do I'd like to nurse him on me if that makes sense is yeah. that what you would say for a year makes sense to me nurse him on me for a year and then uh, express until he's two now I might even that that might even go longer as as time goes by I just feel like I love it more and more like I I just enjoy that closeness yeah and when he looks up and when you know even when he gets his little latch and looks at you like it's just a really you can't describe the feeling it's just describe the feeling it's just a lovely feeling yeah, yeah. so the bonding the bonding yeah yeah, yeah it's very and special and I've heard women say as well that like it's amazing to watch your child grow and know that everything that has gone into their little body every bit of growth has come from nutrition yeah. from you yeah definitely yeah because yeah. um i'm exclusively breastfeeding until he's six months because you can introduce food at 17 weeks solids but um with breastfed babies all they need is breast milk for six months so i'm doing that exclusively until he's six months yeah yeah and how do you feel about introducing food then i'm excited yeah, yeah. i'm looking forward to it like there's no rush because he's going to be eating solids for the rest of his life then so like there's no rush on it you know a few of my family members are like God, you have to give that baby some real food now. I'm like, no, he's completely fine. You know, I've spoken to the health nurse and six months, he's completely fine with exclusively breastfed. Yeah. Do you feel like a bit of a breastfeeding evangelist now? Like you just yeah, want to tell everybody I'm, about yeah. it? <laughs> breastfeed, yeah, I'm totally like that. That's what my sister slags me now. And she's like, breastfeeding for life, that's you now. And <laughs> you know, so that's just the way yeah, I'm a, an advocate now for breastfeeding. <laughs> that's great. I mean, yeah. it's great that you found such success with it. And I would imagine as well, like, like, you know, I, I've mentioned before that I really wanted to breastfeed and it didn't happen for me and I was pretty devastated about it. But, um, you know, 
persevering and then getting to that success yeah. when you're having some tr- trouble at the start must be an amazing it feeling. is yeah, yeah definitely and then even like uh I was going on holidays we were going away for nine nights and uh I wanted to you know pump the milk I so I set a goal of 240 ounces and when I hit that goal like it just felt incredible like mm. I was so excited yeah. I was like oh my god I did it I did it now I actually went over because I wanted to leave at least 26 ounces a day but it turned out I probably left around 29 ounces a day because you know once I hit 240 I just kept going so um yeah just those little things like and you just feel really good but you know it's just an exciting feeling yeah like I never thought I'd feel like that before you know about breastfeeding and you know getting 240 ounces yeah like, it was like a celebration well good yeah. for you <laughs> Good for everyone. <laughs> Thanks for coming in to speak with us today, Stephanie. It was a pleasure. Now I am joined by Ashling Bronach, clinical midwife specialist in lactation and Professor Afif El-Kafash, neonatologist and lactation consultant here in the Rotunda Hospital. Welcome to you both. We know a lot of people have questions about breastfeeding, what to do and what not to do. So we'll jump right in. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you see about breastfeeding? Um, yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I suppose one thing to emphasize about breastfeeding is that it is not something that um, is easy to establish. Uh, some mothers um, find it quite easy to, um, you know, establish breastfeeding the early newborn period with very um, little problems. But in my experience, most mothers do um, experience issues establishing breastfeeding in the first um, few days and the first couple of weeks after discharge. Breastfeeding is not easy because it's a learning process for both um, mother and baby. And I suppose having knowing that and anticipating um, the challenges beforehand can actually help with establishing breastfeeding overall. One of the things I keep hearing from mothers is they're worried that the baby's not getting enough milk over the first 24 to 48, 48 hours. But a lot of the time that's um, driven by the fact that the babies naturally feed constantly for the first while until the milk comes in. The early milk or colostrum is only produced in very small quantities over the first um, day or two. And the baby literally only gets small snacks with each feeding episode. So the baby actually has to feed very frequently, sometimes every one to two hours. Um, especially overnight until um, the second stage of lactation occurs or when the actual milk comes in. And a lot of the mothers interpret that as them not having enough milk. But I suppose once um, we counsel mothers and reassure them that this is a natural way of breastfeeding, um, a lot of the anxiety um, dissipates uh, with that. One of the other um, I suppose misconceptions with breastfeeding is um, how long it takes for a baby to go into a regular feeding pattern. And really with demand-led breastfeeding, a lot of babies don't go into, into a routine for weeks, sometimes months. And um, trying to impose a regimented feeding routine um, on babies can create more problems um, than it solves. So the realization that babies um, are demand feeders, meaning that they um, or, or, or if you allow the baby to lead the, the demand for feeding, that makes things a lot easier as well um, on mothers. So those are one of the two big challenges that I suppose I encounter when I'm looking after mothers um, um, and their breastfeeding babies in the early newborn period.
Afif, you mentioned colostrum there. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, colostrum is is the early milk that the babies are exposed to, and it's um, it's I suppose a really amazing thing in that it has a high. Um, we st we're still learning about the benefits of of colostrum. Colostrum is um, the early milk that the babies are exposed to, and the primary function of it really is to, um, I suppose, establish immunity with, with babies. And um, although it does provide nutrition, its primary aim is to provide immunity and protect the gut. And also, it is one of the early, um, I suppose, vaccines that the babies get, where it can provide them with immunity against common viruses and, and bacteria that they could be potentially exposed to. We know also that breast milk has um, especially early breast milk, has a huge amount of stem cells there. And we're still learning about the functions of, of the stem cells that are present in breast milk um, during this early period. So the, the benefits of colostrum are huge. Um, they provide immunity. It, it provides immunity for the baby, obviously nutrition as well. But it also is the, um, is, is the sort of pathway for establishing breastfeeding um, for babies as well. Um, one of the important things um, to remember about colostrum is that it has a very high protein content, a very high content of immunoglobulins, and also white cells that protect the baby. So the function of those is really to um, protect the baby against um, bacteria, against infection, and also um, provide the early immunity for the baby. We've heard about cluster feeding, and there tends to be a bit of a worry about babies getting enough milk. Yes, yeah, so like with cluster feeding, that happens at some stage within the 24 hours, especially with the early days. So we would say to them, cluster feeding, yes, that's going to happen where the milk supply goes down a little bit during the 24 hours. So what you do there is you just keep putting the baby on. Baby will come off, keep putting the baby back on again. This may last for maybe one and a half, two hours or even more, but it's actually the norm. Is there anything a mother can do before she delivers to help the process of breastfeeding? The great thing to do is to learn about breastfeeding. So to do that would be to go to a breastfeeding support group. So the voluntary support groups are excellent, La Lesh League, the Irish Childbirth Trust, Friends of Breastfeeding. They would welcome pregnant mothers to attend their breastfeeding support group. They'll hear about, say, mothers may be having problems. They'll hear them discussing it. The... Um, the facilitator helping them out with to resolve problems. They'll see good positioning and attachment, the norm and what goes on with breastfeeding. And it'll become culture to them so they'll be well prepared. Also, we run antenatal breastfeeding classes here in the rotunda and we um, educate them on what will happen in the delivery suite and the postnatal wards and for weeks after because certainly with us and the WHO recommendations, we would be recommending that uh, a mum feeds her baby for six months and introduce solids at six months then, but continue breastfeeding until the baby is ready to come off. And that could be two years or beyond. It's still very beneficial for the baby. If any new mums or soon-to-be mums are listening to the podcast today and are planning to breastfeed, are there supports on the labour ward that they could avail of? Absolutely. So when the baby's born initially, whether it's in theatre or in delivery suite, the midwife is the first 
line of support. So the midwife will help with latching the baby if it's necessary, because it's quite instinctive for the baby to go on to the breast naturally, it takes time. But the midwife will guide mother to uh, help baby latch if it's necessary. But some of these babies self-attach themselves. Their intuition's there, they're quite intelligent. So on the postnatal ward, again, it's the midwife. The midwife will help if any problems, if they're having or just assisting with feeding or to just observe a feed initially, the midwife is the first protocol. If the midwife is finding there are issues that they can't resolve, they'll contact the lactation specialist here in the rotunda. What are common causes of a baby struggling to get a latch and how would you recognize them? So establishing a latch is, is a learning process, both for mother and baby as well. And, um, you know, the vast majority of uh, mother and baby diets, thankfully, don't have any physical barriers, if you like, to establishing a latch. And it's a learning process. One of the most important things to try and get is to ensure that the baby develops a deep latch um, because that ensures adequate milk transfer and it also limits the chances of the mother having um, damaged nipples or cracked nipples that can increase her risk of getting engorged or developing mastitis as well. Like I said, it's a learning process and it does take a few days to establish a latch properly, both for the baby and the mother. And there are sometimes some causes for an improper latch. Sometimes um, babies may have issues opening their mouth, especially if they're small or if they're slightly premature. The, um, the suck-swallow-breathe mechanism doesn't tend to develop until beyond 36, 37 weeks gestation. So some babies that are born slightly earlier than that may have issue establishing and maintaining a good latch. Another cause that a lot of people um, uh, also worry about, I suppose, is, is tongue tie, which is quite a controversial topic at the moment. Um, I think part of the problem with um, people worrying about tongue tie is our need to try and find a physical reason for the difficulties that mothers and babies are um, encountering when trying to maintain a lash. And although tongue tie is, in my opinion, a real issue in a small set of, um, of babies and mothers, it is not the commonest or it's not the um, most usual cause of a poorly established latch. The commonest cause is just um, the initial early difficulty, that it, it is a learning process for both mother and baby. And um, what we need is support for mother and baby to try and establish a latch. I suppose ensuring that the latch is deep enough and making sure that the mother is comfortable in and, and is aware of all the positions that she can use to try and maintain uh, establish and maintain a good latch with, with, with her baby. If a baby latches on well within that first hour, really it's so much easier to breastfeed. The pathway will be a lot easier. So from that, again, extra support if it's necessary. So really it could be just a positioning attachment where the mom mightn't have got the support that she really needed. Um, just it depends on the delivery. If mom was medicated, she might be, baby may be a bit sleepy. So in that situation, if a baby just doesn't latch within the first hour, we can get mom to hand express, assist her with that, and we give the express breast milk to baby. If baby just is not latching well for uh, a 
it's just not working out here in the hospital before she goes home. Again, she'll be guided with that. She can express, come back into us on a one-to-one -one until the baby's ready. Sometimes the baby isn't ready. But the main thing is that she keeps protecting her breast milk. And skin to skin, if she holds her baby skin to skin a lot, we encourage the partners to be in here from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. because they're allowed during that time. And they take responsibility as well. So working as a team with partner and mom and baby been allowed to sleep on mom skin to skin, but safe skin to skin if partners watching over them. They'll protect their breast milk. So again, if baby's not latching well, they may have to do a bit of expressing, but eventually it'll get there. How does a new mother know when it's time to stop breastfeeding if she's really struggling? Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because you, you really have to, in a mother that is obviously intending to breastfeed and really wishes to continue breastfeeding, we really have to have the knowledge and the expertise to come down to the bottom of why there is a difficulty. Um, there are many, many causes that can prevent successful breastfeeding. Some of them may relate to the baby and some of them may relate to the breast in particular or the mother in general in terms of having a chronic illness or not. So actually looking into the root cause of not being able to, for example, establish a latch or not having enough milk to, to maintain a baby is, some, is a process that needs to happen before we can definitively say that there are real potential barriers for, for establishing breastfeeding. Um, the decision to stop, I suppose, is a decision that the mother can come to in consultation with um, healthcare workers or a, a personal decision that the mother can come to for whatever reason. And the way I approach it is that I would support mothers in their feeding choices, no matter what they are, making sure that they have received evidence-based and unbiased um, uh, advice, um, regardless of which um, feeding method um, the family wish, wish to embark on going down the line. And if one of the reasons for using supplementation or other methods of feeding other than breastfeeding stem from the fact that there is a difficulty, I think it is our duty as healthcare providers to make sure that we've explored all options before we make that decision. If a mother decides to stop, would you encourage them to express some breast milk and combination feed? So if they wanted to um, change or combine feed before that six months, they need a bit of guidance because complications can occur. That's when really the mastitis might set in. So what we'd suggest is certainly if they were weaning off of it to certainly leave the morning breastfeed to the very last and the nighttime feed to the last. But if they understand that they're going back to work, they could be expressing at work, say, and then they can come home and exclusively breastfeed their baby, exclusively breastfeed their baby at weekends. I mean, not many mothers now, when they go back to work, work full-time, they can get some leave. So it, again, it's good if they discuss it. If a mother's going back to work, are they entitled to take time out of their day to pump? They are entitled. They're, they can have an hour, but up to six months. So after that, really, it depends on who they're working for. Are there any particular resources you would recommend to someone interested in learning more about breastfeeding? 
Yeah, so whatever maternity hospital they attend, they can look up, say, for here in the Rotunda Hospital, we have our own website and we have our own Facebook. We can, they can look that up, other maternity hospitals. There's um, extended breastfeeding that they can support each other that way. There's um, La Leche League, breastfeeding.ie, the HSE website. There's um, universal websites. And breastfeeding Kelly Mom is a great resource and Kelly Mom will link them to say difficulties they're having if any topic is discussed on um, Kelly Mom. Do you have any advice for adoptive parents? Yeah, it'd be a good idea to ring lactation specialists before they have this baby and we would just advise them on skin to skin with this baby that will certainly actually stimulate hormones within the mum and um, offering, we would talk to them about actually offering the breast to the baby. There are times uh, I've met mothers like this before and they'd use um, uh, the supplementer where they would put formula into the supplementer. It's like a little box that they wear over. There's a string attached over their neck and this tube that comes from it and the tube then is placed side of the baby's mouth and mum puts the baby to the breast and the baby then thinks that the milk is coming from the breast and that actually encourages the mum to start lactating even though she hasn't had a baby. If a new mum is having a night out whilst breastfeeding can she have a glass of wine and if so how long do breastfeeding mums need to wait until the alcohol has passed through their system? So the current recommendation that it's um, advised to best avoid drinking alcohol until the baby is more than a month old um, and because there is some evidence that during while you're trying to establish breastfeeding alcohol may actually um, drop your milk production. Um, in terms, if you if, if a mother wishes to drink um, once breastfeeding is established, there are some steps that you can take to avoid passing alcohol to, you, to your baby. Uh, one of the recommendations is, is to feed your baby just before you take a drink and to remember that um, uh, try and express some milk beforehand if you plan on drinking more than um, two standard drinks because it takes about two hours um, after each standard drink before um, sorry, it takes about an hour to two for the um, alcohol to peak in breast milk. So it's best to um, avoid feeding your baby within that period because alcohol levels um, uh, alcohol levels will peak in breast milk about an hour or two after after drinking. Um, again, um, there's actually very good uh, breastfeeding.ie has a very good resource on giving the mother further advice on what to do. Um, in relation to consuming alcohol and breastfeeding as well. But having said that, I think, you know, mothers are entitled to let their hair down every now and again and and, um, and go out. And I suppose knowing what to do when you drink alcohol is the important thing. A lot of women tend to be quite worried about whether their baby is getting enough nutrition while breastfeeding, especially as the baby is growing. Up until what age can women exclusively breastfeed? So the recommendation at the moment, I suppose I want to say two things about that. A lot of mothers are concerned during the early breastfeeding period as to whether their baby's getting enough milk or not. And um, some mothers may think that giving a baby a bottle means that at least they know the volume that their baby is getting. The thing I'd say is that um, breastfeeding is demand let meaning that the baby will actually regulate the volume that they need and regulate milk production after the milk comes in what mothers should look out for is not worry about 
the volume or even the time the baby spends on, on the breast. The important thing is whether the baby is passing urine, um, passing stool and gaining weight at, at, at a normal rate. So once breastfeeding is established, babies should pee um, you know, between six and eight times a day. Um, and also babies usually for the first three months gain around 200 grams a week, which is around six to seven ounces a week. And if the babies are doing that, then that's a sure sign that the baby's getting enough milk. How long should you exclusively breastfeed? The recommendation at the moment is exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months and not to introduce solids before that. There's a lot of evidence showing that having this approach will actually reduce the um, tendency for the baby to have allergies down the line as well. And also um, there is evidence to show that the gut integrity isn't complete until after the first six months of life. So having exposure to food products before that may potentially increase the risk of allergies. So exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months with introduction to solids um, after that. How long um, should you breastfeed for? That's an open-ended question, um, meaning that um, you know mothers can continue to breastfeed for the first one to two years and even beyond that. Um, a lot of mothers adopt the baby led weaning method, which allows the baby to slowly wean themselves off of breast milk. And the recommendation um, is for the first two years um, to have the baby exposed to some breast milk. And beyond that, I suppose it's, it's, it's the parental choice. Are there any medical treatments that the mother might be on that can impact breastfeeding? So if mom is um, on chemotherapy or regime treatment, she can still express, but she will discard that milk. She won't use that milk. But um, lots of mothers, they know that they're going to go for this chemo or the radium so they can express and store that milk safely. And then when they're going through the treatment, they will discard that milk. But they need to continue to express just to keep up the lactating. If a new mother's baby has to go into the NICU, what are the mother's options to get breast milk to her baby? And if her milk isn't in, is there an alternative source of breast milk that the baby can get? Well, if we know that the baby's going to be going to the neonatal unit, we'd have them expressing antenatally. So the midwife would help with that, and we would then make sure that that express breast milk is brought up to the intensive care unit once the baby's born and given to the baby. Also within the first hour, even if mom's sick and unable to express herself, the midwife will help to express. If that doesn't happen, mom is too unwell and we just can't get express breast milk from her, we depend on the milk bank up in Enniskillen. And that is the next, this is the donor milk. And this is really the next best thing to mum's own milk. Of course, we prefer mum's own milk because that's pertinent for her baby. It has all the nutrients that baby needs to survive. These neonatal real premies, they are um, at risk, of course, of necrotizing endocolitis. So, of course, it's the mother's own milk first that will really protect that baby. Really, it reduces the mortality and morbidity rate. But we do depend on Enniskillen on that donor milk and Enniskillen are really crying out for donor milk. We're not getting enough. So we would ask for mothers that are lactating, would they donate to the Enniskillen? If I would like to donate milk, how would I go about it? So really you ring Enniskillen 
and you just go onto the website, you'll see the number and that's the best way of doing it. If there are any new moms out there who are struggling to exclusively breastfeed and are considering switching to formula feeds, would it still be worth their while to pump some breast milk to give to the baby? So again, it's if, if this is something that the mothers want to embark on, absolutely. Um, you know, any breastfeeding or any exposure to human milk is, is beneficial to the baby. So if the mothers and the families can find a balance between, you know, supplementation with formula and also providing the baby with some breast milk via pumping, that is a completely viable option. And I have many families that I looked after that have actually adopted this, um, this approach as well. I think um, there's nothing wrong with um, having the um, having access to pump for any mother that is breastfeeding for for whatever reason should be part of their breastfeeding journey. Um, and I think um, combination feeds are something that I would encourage for families that are finding it tough to exclusively breastfeed a baby. Afif, if there are moms out there who are on the fence about breastfeeding, what information would you like them to know? Yeah, the important thing for me is to respect the choices that mothers and, and families make for their babies. Um, what we need to do is provide evidence-based information that is free of bias um, about the benefits of breastfeeding and um, how to help mothers um, begin the journey and establish breastfeeding down the line. If the mothers, if their mother's wishes are not to breastfeed, and again, that's something that we should respect. And what we do is facilitate the mothers in feeding their baby um, in a safe and effective way to ensure that the baby's growth is optimal. Um, mothers that are unsure that want to find out more about breastfeeding, I normally just outline the benefits of breastfeeding, and I suppose emphasize. Um, how beneficial it is to both mother and baby and the impact it has on, on, on their long-term health, both for the mother and the baby as well. And again, in a non-confrontational, non-judgmental way. Um, and having said that, you know, we cannot go through all the other feeding methods, their advantages and disadvantages, and, and take it from there, respecting the choice that the mother make in, in the end. Yes, I think respecting a woman's decision and how she feeds her child is a very good point to end this on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Afif and Ashley. We are joined today by Rachel Quinn from HICWA, the Health Information and Quality Authority, who is here today to tell us a little bit about the National Maternity Experience Survey. Rachel, hello and welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about the survey? So the National Maternity Experience Survey is the first time that we will be serving women that use the maternity services in Ireland. So in many countries, patients survey women and they ask about their experience. And the whole purpose of that is to understand their experience to improve the services. Um, we've rolled out an inpatient survey um, over the last number of years, and we can see from that that there has been improvements made as a result. So the same principle applies. We will ask um, women that have given birth um, in the month of October and November to participate in the survey. So we will send out a survey three months after they've given birth and we'll be asking questions like, you know, what was it like? Um, were they given enough information before they went into hospital? What was their labour like? And then when they were discharged home, did they have enough supports? Were they given enough information? Did they know who to contact? So it, it follows the journey of a woman through the whole maternity services. And the whole aim then is for the health service executive to identify areas for improvement. 
the, the survey itself is a partnership program. It involves ourselves, HICWAS, as the lead partner. It also involves the Department of Health and the Health Service Executive. Why have HICWA decided to do the survey? So many countries conduct patient experience surveys um, and when when you go into a service and experience it as a person or, or you know, if you're an expecting mum, it's very different to working in the services. So you, by asking people questions about those experiences, you get a great insight to it. For example, were, did you get enough information? Did you understand that information? Were you able to absorb that information? So healthcare professionals could be handing out information all the time, but the mother or the expecting mother may not understand that information. So it gets a different side of you. So in terms of understanding how they, uh, I suppose, you know, navigate the system and go through the services, you get a better understanding of that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we've conducted an inpatient survey over the last number of years and really what it has highlighted is areas of improvement. So, for example, one of the areas that we saw in the inpatient survey is that communication could be improved in the inpatient setting. Um, so patients were given information, but they sometimes didn't understand what that information meant for them. Um, and one of the programs that the HSE has rolled out nationally is a communication program in order to improve the way healthcare professionals communicate with patients. Uh, and this, of course, is really important when you, your patient is going home from hospital, that they understand what medication that they're going home on, what side effects of the medication they should be looking out for and who to contact in relation to that. The same applies to the maternity services. When you go home after having a, a baby, it is overwhelming. Um, and therefore, you need to know information. You need to understand who to contact. You need to know what side effects to look out for if, you, if, if that's the case. And, and it's very important that you're supported as well when you're at home. Um, so it asks questions about those um, stages of care in order to improve um, the stages of care for maternity services. That sounds great. And it's something that here on Real Talk with Real Mums, we're really keen on. We are absolutely dedicated to making sure that women's experiences are heard and acted upon. So how can women complete the survey and when will it be available? So as, as I mentioned earlier, it's the first time we've ever captured women's experiences of um, maternity services across the 19 maternity units and also home births as well. So the plan is that um, births that happen in um, October, November of this year, they will be contacted three months after they have gone home from hospital and asked to participate in the survey. When they're in hospital, they'll be given information about the survey, so they shouldn't be surprised when they get this in the post. Um, so then once they get that information, they can complete the survey online or they can fill it out using a questionnaire as well. And I suppose it's hugely important because this is the first time we've ever done this in Ireland. Um, so it's very important to get that balanced view of women's experiences in Ireland. Um, and as I said, they will receive the invitation by post um, and they can complete that then and return it to us. We will then collate the results and we will produce reports for each of the 19 maternity units and they will be available to the public via our website. And you mentioned something briefly there about home birth moms. So if I'm a mom who's given birth at home, is there someone I need to contact to access the survey? You don't need to do anything. We will engage with the services to inform women that have home births during that period and they will receive the survey like the other moms through an invitation and they will participate in the, in the survey if they so wish to do so. If I complete the survey and I have some positive and perhaps some negative experiences, is this information kept anonymous? 
Yeah, so the whole idea is to, to drive improvements within the services. And within the questionnaire, there will be free text questions where you asked were, what was good about your maternity care? What wasn't so good? And do you have any other comments? And usually the very, very valuable pieces of information come from those three questions. Um, so it will, you, we, we will be asking those questions and we'll also be, um, it will be completely anonymous. We will not be um, associating your responses back to your name and, and address that will be completely anonymous. That's great. And do you have any further information you'd like people to know? Well, I suppose... In order to keep up to date, please go to our, our website, which is patientexperience.ie. We're going to revamp that website over the next number of months. Um, but it's all in order to keep up to date in, in events and also publications. Um, our reports are very much tailored for women. You know, we write them in such a way that they're useful for women and they can give insights into the maternity services uh, across the country. So we're very much targeting people that use the services in, in those reports. And we've always involved, I suppose, um, we've always involved patients, women in our groups in determining what questions should be should be recorded. So it's not HICWA deciding, you know, these are the questions that should be asked in the survey. We've always involved women in, in determining what questions should be involved. And I think that's really important um, a part of the process. So we have had women in HICWA with babies um, doing focus groups, identifying what's important to them. So if you don't ask it in the questionnaire, obviously it won't come out in the results. So it's very, it's hugely important that we get that input from women. Um, and as I said, we, we've always involved women in not only the design of the questionnaire, but the design of the whole program, even the way we display the information and reports that we publish, we get input from women in relation to that. So what what's important to you? you these are busy people. They don't have a lot of time to read very lengthy reports. There's a snapshot, you know, they have a a particular time period. So it's very important that we get the messages across and get a very balanced view. And that's one of the reasons why HICWA is doing this work because of our independence um, and, and our removal from, from the service delivery arm of the HSE. So we're very much doing this to get a balanced view of the maternity services in Ireland. Well, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity for women and for many of our listeners to have their experiences told and to have their input valued and used to improve services. Thank you so much for coming in today. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this expert advised and mum approved podcast. Chat to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast or visit online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. I'm Louise McSharry and this has been Real Talk with Real Mums. <laughs>